0: Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, I am Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times, and man, we kind of planned to do a sort of a season-end wrap thing here, but there's so much in the news regarding the Hokies that I think we can fill a whole podcast with that and maybe come back later with another one. Andy, I noticed you're not coughing. Your That trip to Charlotte looks like it really uh, did you some
1: good. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, when I start talking, that when it, that's when it kind of builds up. So hopefully it's gone. Uh, I can recover just in time for the next cold to come through my daughter's daycare and Bring it home, and I'll be sick for another two weeks. Well, I
0: don't, think the re- I don't think the listeners even know it, but you did some some skillful editing of some of these previous podcasts where you were not feeling well, and, and there's these long periods where you had coughs that you got out of there and, and
1: you couldn't even tell. Well, I think you could tell if you listened closely <laughs> enough. The editing wasn't exactly seamless between the two. It's, it's like, well, I guess we need to go to the belt bowl on this <laughs> particular. It's like, yeah, if you listen carefully, you can hear the edits. But, uh, yeah, hopefully not too much coughing this time
0: okay we're gonna start with a real quick belt bowl recap you did that with mike very nice job once again uh between you two when you're with your moonlighting cast there then we're gonna get into the mass exodus players here starting with gerard evans and we'll get into ford we'll get into bucky we'll, we'll talk a little bit about facing he still has a decision to face as we're taping this kind of what all this means and we'll also look a little bit at the running back position which i think didn't go the way i thought it would this season and then we'll uh Break down the national title game at the end. How's that sound? That sounds good. Okay, let's get right to it. Belk Bowl. I mean, Hokies 35-24. I went back and listened to our last podcast, and your prediction was, I believe, Uh, 38-27? Something like that. I think you had the margin of victory exact. Yeah. And it was, you know, a field goal on both sides. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, clearly not the way you probably thought they were going to get. No, to I score. clearly
1: said they were going to be down 24 nothing at the halftime, score 35 straight points, and win it by 11. I mean, don't you read what I write, Aaron? Well, I heard you and Mike talking, and, and you, you sounded like you
0: guys, both of you thought that they were dead in the water at half. And I, I you know, maybe I'm overstating what you guys said, but. I mean, I still felt like they had a flicker of hope at the half. I mean, they weren't playing well, but I still felt that they had a chance. You know, they could put up 30 points if they had to.
1: Well, if you're going to do it against a team, Arkansas defense is the one to do it. Uh, they would given up, I think, 28 points or more in the second half four times that year. Uh, It's not like Arkansas was running the ball straight through them. They were still struggling to run the ball. you know, I thought they might have had a chance. I, I didn't think uh, it would happen as quickly as it did. I mean, they essentially erased that deficit in 18 minutes of game time. Uh, I figured if they were going to come back, they were going to need every single possession all the way down at the end. That's why I kind of, you know, when they went, they punted on fourth and one on one of those. I'm like, you can't be wasting these possessions, and it turns out they they could because they had so much of a, a comeback in such a quick amount of time. But My tweet was, roll the dice. Roll the dice. Riverboat gambler, B1. Uh, so, no, I, I mean, they've been down 17 nothing in the first quarter against uh, Notre Dame earlier this year. I thought this was more like the Georgia Tech game, where I think that was 20 to nothing at halftime and they really hadn't done anything in the first half or shown any sort of flicker of life or anything. So I thought it was more like that, and I didn't think they'd come back. But I don't know if I completely shut the door on it. I mean, obviously, very, very small percentage. But uh, they did it, and it was an impressive comeback. Yeah, and you know Georgia Tech's
0: going to possess the ball. I mean, that adds to the fact that's true, yeah. that you think that it's, it's going to be a lot tougher. And you're right. I mean, for them to just get force four turnovers in that second half, three of them leading to direct touchdowns, uh, to get them back in that game – it was incredible performance by the defense. I short changed the defense pick time in my column after the game, but no, no question, they were sort of the the heroes on of the night for Tech.
1: Yeah, I think. I mean, you look at the four touchdown drives that they scored up those turnovers, and I think they totaled eighty seven yards. Yeah. Uh, So when you have short fields like that, and I think two of them they scored on either the next play or the the second play after the turnover, uh, that's converting and it's converting quick. So that's that's how they were able to dig out of this deep hole like that. And uh, I don't know if the offense necessarily does that if they have to go 90 yards on every drive.
0: Yeah. So I'm watching the Rose Bowl. I think it was during the Rose Bowl game that Gerard – Made his announcement, Gerard Evans.
1: Uh, speaking of it, is does any other game called the Rose Bowl game? Do they call it the you know Independence Bowl game? game? No, I don't. It's only the Rose Bowl. Is it is if like what? What is this Rose Bowl? Is this some sort of game? I, I don't quite understand what this is. You just got to differentiate. Is this the parade thing. or is this the game? I see a football or being you're played just on watch the field, the stadium. Yeah, we're <laughs> just gonna watch the stadium for three hours. Um, but yeah, it was during that game, I think, that Gerard. Announced his- well, here's how it happened. I had been around a computer all day because <laughs> I was watching the Wisconsin-Western-Michigan game because I'm a Wisconsin grad, so I had an interest in that. Uh, started watching the, the, the Rose Bowl game, mm-hmm. as we call it, and uh, we needed something to eat, so I was going to go out grab a pizza real quick. And as I'm out, that's when Isaiah tweeted that he's going pro. I'm like, I've been by a computer all day long, and this is when the news comes out. Like, great, this is going to just be – you know, something to deal with tonight. So I rush home and I write the story. And as I'm writing the story, Gerard puts out his tweet with his message that he's going pro. And I'm like, well, there you go the next couple hours here trying to, to get all this thing together. It just kind of a, you know happened all at once. And I, I think it was expected. I always kind of expected Ford to go, even though in the last podcast I hedged a little bit, uh, you know, with some of the things that he had said along the way. Uh, I had heard that Evans was leaning that way hard. Uh, So it wasn't necessarily a surprise. It was a surprise from a week ago. Uh, I didn't think he'd possibly uh, consider going pro then. But once I heard that he was sort of intent on doing it, uh, you know, he's sort of a headstrong guy. I think he was going to press forward with that. But it all happened at once, and uh, you look at it, and I tweeted that that night. I mean, Virginia Tech is losing its all-time leading receiver, its record-setting tight end, and a quarterback who was a one-year wonder who broke eight school records. That's a lot of offense to lose from one team. No
0: doubt. Now you can blame me a little bit, I think, for this being such a surprise, because I, as I told you before, I sat with Gerard for a good twenty minutes before that, the day before the game, the day before the belt ball, and not once did I or any other player or any other reporter ask him, "Hey, are, are you definitely coming back next season?" I mean, we do that dance with everybody, but I didn't even think to do it with Gerard because I just didn't think it, this was going to happen.
1: Now, well, here's the thing: I did ask him that in the lead up to the bowl game did, it, okay. it was one of those uh, media sessions and i asked him i'm like you know we, we talk about bucky and isaiah do you have an nfl decision to make after this game and he gave me the i'm only focused on the game so i imagine if you would ask him that at the thing he's like i'm focused on the game that's all our only focus is uh i was not around him after the game when i think norm wood was the one who asked him you know are are you planning on coming back and he said you know we'll talk about that later i think that was a more clear indication of what his intentions were but i did ask him before the bowl game and he gave sort of the non-answer that every guy did so i just kind of brushed it off i'm like well they're, they're well trained on this they're not going to say anything before it
0: well in the post-mortem here we're going back to that interview but I, i'm kind of looking back at it and saying man i'm seeing some clues in that interview setting that I should have picked up on that I didn't. And and what I'm talking about is basically, you know, we knew that Arkansas struggles uh, with running quarterbacks. So a lot of the questions were, you know, Hey, are you going to run for a ton of yards? Are you looking forward to facing a team that struggled against a run? You were the leading rusher this year. Uh, How much can you run for against these guys? That kind of thing. And, And every single answer was sort of like, yeah, I'm a pass first guy. Um, but I'll run if that's what we need to do to win. Uh, you got to ask the coach what we're going to do because I'm not going to tell you. But uh, you know, you could sense that you know all this running that he's done. Uh, some some people really embrace it, I think, and I don't think he ever really embraced being
1: that much of a rusher. Uh, and I think that might have factored into his decision here. Yeah, I think. I mean, at various points of the season, we'd ask him about the rushing load that he had and i was like well i'm a quarterback so i like passing it yeah and i don't know but he also would always say i'll do whatever it takes to win so you kind of you know put those two things against each other it's like well i, I don't think about it too much uh he had 204 carries this year that's a lot and as uh that is more than a guy that's a quarterback who's running every now and then and when you carry it that many times you take a lot of punishment i mean there were games where they ran him into the line and uh, he get pounded quite a bit. And he's a guy who's had an injury history, he had an ACL tear uh, when he was at Air Force in his uh, freshman season of college. So uh, there's a history there. I have to imagine that, that factored into it. Uh, I actually called him yesterday and thought I had something set up to talk with him later, and then it turned out he didn't want to talk about it and referred me to his agents. So uh, we'll see what his agents have to say about that. But uh, Gerard right now is not uh, saying anything about his decision. But so that sort of leaves us guessing at some of the reasons why he, he wanted to do this. But I, I certainly think the injury factor and the way that Tech used him uh, is such a, a big factor in the running game had to be a factor. Well, here's another thing.
0: In hindsight, <laughs> he knew exactly how many carries he had to that point in the season. I mean, I asked I him, you know, how good has this rest been for you? How much did you need it? And his reply was, Hey man, when you run 187 times, uh, you're gonna need it. <laughs> like, if you know you're you're rushing not not your rushing yardage total, but how many times you've toted it, that's another hint that uh, that maybe been been on his mind a little bit. Um, and you know, look, the way they use their running backs, and we're gonna get into the running back situation a little bit later here too, but maybe we can just tie it in right now. I mean, the the fact that the no real running threat consistent running threat emerged and that we know we, you know they don't care who gets the carries and so forth was it realistic for gerard to look at this current situation and say if i do come back i'm going to be running my butt off and i'm going to be putting myself in harm's way quite a bit
1: well i think offenses evolve and player use evolves i remember when logan thomas was thinking about going pro after his junior season uh, that was a big deal in his mind. Was how much are they going to use me as this this running guy? I mean, I think it was the 2012 season was his junior year, I think so. Maybe I'm thinking 2013. Whatever it was, they had used him as sort of a battering ram for a couple straight years, and that was one of the big things with when they were picking out an offensive coordinator, uh, and ended up hiring Scott Leffler. Is you know I want to develop as a passer. I don't want to be this guy who's just going to run to the the line every time. And uh, he still did run quite a bit his senior season, but I think. Uh, Leffler was more of a, hey, let's develop this guy as a passer type of thing. Uh, so, you know, that can change over time. I, I think you look at Fuente's use of quarterbacks. Uh, Paxton Lynch his sophomore year, second to last year at Memphis, uh, ran I think 113 times, had 13 touchdowns. Uh, the next year we ran it 87 times, I think, and had two touchdowns. So obviously the use changed a little bit in there. Uh, college is always tough with the, the rushing totals because sacks count into the, the number of carries that you get. But uh, I think he became more of a passer the later into his career he got. So I, maybe that same evolution could have taken place here. Uh, maybe Gerard didn't trust. I, I think he's a more elusive runner than Paxton Lynch certainly, uh, brings a lot more to the table. And if you're a coach and you have that sort of ability, uh, are you, are you approaching it and going, well, are we using this guy to his fullest potential? And is you know is the team benefiting to the fullest potential if this guy's not running? Um, you know, I think the running back situation is something that uh, could sort itself out in the future, but I, you know, we're, we'll talk about it later. But I, I don't really see a clear cut guy emerging from that group or more carries coming. And then if you're Gerard and you're looking at the guys you're losing, uh, losing Sam Rogers, who was somebody that was reliable that they could give the ball to every now and then, losing two wide receivers in Bucky Hodges and Isaiah Ford, that uh, you know, first and fifth reverse that isaiah ford's first bucky hodge's fifth on the school's all-time receiving list uh you might think hey maybe they'll run me more next year because there aren't that many passing options i, I just think uh there's probably not one silver bullet reason why he went, but a combination of things but i would imagine that uh, his usage and uh, the kind of physical toll that he took would be a big one what do you think of his prospects
0: for the for the nfl
1: you know with one year in the fbs I think it's going to take a pretty good workout or some convincing of teams to take him, you know, honestly anywhere in the draft. I mean, I haven't seen any sort of uh, draft uh, projection for him because he's so new to the the pool of players and I haven't seen a lot of 2017 uh, lists that include him. But I think I'd seen uh, Tony Pauline as an NFL uh, draft scout and he said there's a possibility he couldn't get drafted. Uh, So, you know, it's a risk you take going pro, but, you know, it's his decision and he wanted to do it. And I think, you know, both of us have been around Gerard all season. He's a pretty headstrong guy. He's pretty confident in his abilities. Uh, I think the fact that maybe people are saying, you know, you're not ready. You don't want to do this might've pushed him into the draft anyway, because he wants to prove people wrong. Uh, He's going to be 23 in two weeks. I think that might be a factor. It's not like he's some new guy in college and, uh, three years out of high school and he goes pro. I mean he's been through a lot in his career from going to Air Force, having a knee injury, uh, you know, the rebirth he had at community college, and then you know succeeding on the big stage at Virginia Tech. That's that's a lot of football career in a, a little number of years like that. So uh all those things factored together, I think, probably pushed in that direction. Another thing I think is, you know, Dak Prescott. And I know he's probably the exception to the rule as a fourth-round guy that goes to the NFL and has success like this. But, you know, Gerard is from Dallas. I would imagine he sees what Dak Prescott is doing with the Cowboys this year. I think they're both uh, similar-style athletes, about the same size. They both have a a run-pass combination. Um, Dak Prescott obviously started more years in college. I think he was a three-year starter at Mississippi State. But uh, I think he probably looks at that situation and goes, if he can do it, why can't I? Uh, you know, again, these are all questions I would have loved to ask him the other day and and see if uh, this was sort of his thought process with it. But the more and more I look at all the reasons that he could possibly do it, I can make an argument for it. I don't necessarily think it was the right idea. I think he probably could have benefited by coming back and improved his stock quite a bit. But uh, at the same time, you can never fault a guy for looking out for his personal health and and wanting to get to the highest level he can. Well, and his favorite quarterback
0: is Cam Newton. And what's one of the big storylines with cam newton all season this year you know whether or not he gets the same amount of calls as other quarterbacks because he's not happy with what happens when he runs the ball he's getting hit a lot and and hit hit hard and um I, you know i i can't imagine that that's he, he really does admire cam and it, cam he admires uh, aaron Rodgers, which you know who wouldn't uh you know he admires tom brady but i mean uh but i think he wants to be a pass first guy like like Cam, and also run when, when need be. That's the
1: kind of thing. Yeah, the other thing about Cam is you look at sort of the parallels between their two careers. Uh, obviously went to junior college for different reasons. Cam Newton had some trouble that he got into in Florida, went to Blinn College in Texas. Uh, Gerard left Air Force. It kind of wasn't the lifestyle for him, and went to Trinity Valley, and those are both in the same junior college conference. They were both MVPs of that league. They both went to Division One teams, Cam Newton to Auburn. Girard to Virginia Tech and had tremendous seasons now Cam had such a better season; I mean he was the Heisman Trophy winner won the national championship far and away the best player in the country that year Girard didn't quite reach those heights but he had a pretty good year I mean 4,300 total yards 41 touchdowns I mean these are numbers that Virginia Tech has never really seen and uh, they stack up well with a lot of the top guys in the country so uh, if he sees some parallels there with him and Cam Newton and and going to the league is not quite as big as Cam, not quite as uh, maybe durable as Cam, but uh, I think he saw some parallels between their two paths going through that uh, Texas Junior College Conference and and getting back to the big stage and succeeding.
0: Yeah, it's really hard to <coughs> evaluate from our standpoint. I mean, I can only—it's hard enough for scouts to do it, so it's even harder for us to do it. I mean, I remember when Tyrod came out, I thought, well. You know, he's probably too small to ever really get a real look. Well, then he became a starter eventually. And uh, I thought when Logan came out, they would, you know, fix some of those things in his mechanics uh, once he got in the pros, and he would get in there and, and, and figure it out and, and be a starter at some point. That never happened. Um, he's <sighs> last seen uh, as a tight end on somebody's practice squad,
1: right? G- I think the Giants signed him. A- who was it? Was it Detroit? Or- Somebody signed him to their a- – Bills. The Bills signed him to their actual roster, I think although he's still uh, i don't think he played i think he's a project there
0: yeah i mean but Gerard's clearly is you know a next level athlete he's very very uh, impressive arm strength he's very uh, elusive runner and he can also run over you i mean those are that's a good combination to bring to the table uh, you know i'd be interested to hear what the Mel hypers of the world
1: yeah i really think. wish they had one of those teleconferences coming up I, I think they will and once the declaration date is done um, i might have mcshay or somebody like that but i'm eager to ask them what the, their opinion of but you look at the playoffs right now you got russell wilson in seattle i think he's a third round pick right. uh, you got deck prescott in, in dallas who was a fourth round pick these are mobile guys that aren't necessarily running quarterbacks in the nfl but uh, they're succeeding. They're not the biggest guys. you know. I think there's a chance if he finds the right situation, but it is a risk to go there right now because there are no guarantees in the NFL. There's no guarantee that he even makes a roster by doing this. But like I said, he's very confident in his abilities and think he can do it. Where does this leave the
0: Hokies in the quarterback position?
1: Very inexperienced. Uh, the only scholarship guy that will be uh, or on the roster right now who will be there in the spring is Josh Jackson and he's a freshman who redshirted this year, uh, arrived last winter and went through spring ball and then sort of got everybody's radar in August when Fuente said that he was in the competition. Uh, actually said it was a three-way competition in August just because of the poise and the, you know, decision-making he had made at practice. I, I still kind of wonder whether that was a motivational ploy by uh, Fuente. I mean, if, if Jackson truly was <laughs> in the competition with Evans, then – The Hokies are in good shape (laughs) if he was if he was right there neck and neck with Evans at all. So that's why I kind of wonder if, uh, you know, Fuente was trying to push Evans to get over some hurdle that he might have had in August uh, by saying this other guy is in the competition, too. But, uh, you know, he hasn't thrown a pass in a college game yet, which has to give them a lot of pause. But he seems to do enough good things last offseason that they think he can be a guy that can be a pretty good starter. Uh, They have Hendon Hooker who was not going to enroll early, uh, 2017 cl- uh, class quarterback. He's now going to arrive early so he can go through spring ball. You have Jack Click and Chase Mumau, I think is how you pronounce his last name, uh, two walk-ons that will be here. Uh, you need more than that. Uh, you need more than just a, a redshirt freshman, uh, a true freshman, and a couple walk-ons if you want to feel comfortable about your quarterback room. So that's why I would imagine that Virginia Tech is going to be in the quarterback transfer market this offseason. season. Uh, I know people kind of look at the the big names like Malik Zaire and all these you know major conference guys. I wonder if they're gonna be able to pull somebody like that or not. I know they've uh, you know just kind of following the Twitter breadcrumbs here. Fuente followed a j Bush uh, an Iowa Western Community College quarterback used to be in Nebraska. Uh, all the recruiting guys on the staff have also followed him and they also followed the uh, quarterback camp that he's at in Arizona right now working out so uh, maybe that's a possibility. I don't know, but I would imagine. Tyr is also being followed. He is, yeah. but then, uh, you know, the, I think a Notre Dame reporter kind of threw some cold water on that whole thing, saying that he's not considering Virginia Tech. But is, is this the new flight track? It is the new flight aware. Okay. Uh, this is, you know, this is, but yeah, but really, that, that is kind of a good insight good into, yeah. you know, who these guys do, because that is the communication method you can have with some of these guys right now. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I think they add somebody through a transfer just to bring some experience, some competition to that room. That doesn't mean that they don't think Jackson can be a starter, but I think they need somebody to to push the competition forward. And uh, it'll be interesting in the next couple months because, you know, honestly, if you go into next season with a a redshirt freshman with your true freshman as your backup, uh, that's going to be very unnerving if you're a football coach. I just saw on your Twitter feed, Dan
0: Levitard show poll question, does Rick Riley still work for ESPN? How would you answer that question? I think he does. I does thought it? he didn't. Oh, he doesn't. Okay. I don't know. That could come out fifty-fifty on the poll results. Probably. There. Uh, I just thought that was hilarious. Okay. Well, this I may I may tear up during this little portion when we talk about Isaiah Ford. Um, I'm really glad I spent some quality time with him at the pre-bowl festivities. Uh, sat with him and Gerard. That was prescient on my part. Prescient. 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 Uh, to get those guys, we will not see again. But Isaiah's Isaiah's leaving, as you said, uh, not a huge surprise. You hedged a bit, but you kind of always felt like he was heading that direction. Uh, Just your thoughts on his career and sort of um, what his loss means for Tech.
1: Well, I mean, he's, in my opinion, the best receiver Virginia Tech's ever had. The numbers back that up. I know there's more passing uh In the offense right now than there was in you know Antonio Freeman's days or andre Davis's days, but uh ford was really the total package there i mean he he could beat guys deep, he could beat guys on routes, he had great hands he he caught passes around the end zone he was a consummate team guy uh you know being selfish here from a media perspective. he was great with the media from day one he was like that too i mean he he would gladly step into the interview room he would put up with our stupid questions all the time and you know, not <laughs> not uh you know, insult anybody if they asked a dumb question, he'd just play along and answer it. Uh you know, he was a guy that when he came in, uh, he was a flip from Louisville originally, uh committed when Aaron Moorhead was the receiver's coach, and him and Cam Phillips came in at the same time and really sort of jumped to the top of the depth chart immediately. Uh I remember there was a, a scrimmage in August that his freshman year and he didn't get into the summer, so he didn't have the benefit of the spring or anything like that. And we had requested him, and I think it was Jimmy Robertson came over because he had seen the scrimmage. like, which one of you guys requested for? And I'm like, I, I think I put him on the list. He's like, that was a good idea because he had caught three touchdowns in the scrimmage that day, sort of uh, you know, a sense of what he was going to do in his career. But, you know, from start to finish, he was an impact player, uh, always a guy they had to worry about on the field. And, uh, you know, he'll be a big loss for that offense. Yeah, I tweeted when he
0: made his decision that, <laughs> You know, they used to call Eddie Royal Mister Perfect. That's what his teammates called him, and I, I, I feel like Ford's very similar in, in that he's an excellent receiver, uh, but also just just really genuine, easy to get along with guy. And uh, and that's the part I'll miss as a reporter. I mean, just uh, you knew you could go to him and you could get something. You know, you could get something interesting, and you know he would he would. Uh, do his best to sort of add some insight there. And I, I, and I'll and I don't think he
1: was wholly comfortable with it too. I, I think he grew a little bit more comfortable with it with time, but it wasn't always the most natural thing to show up in the interviews, which is probably uh, more impressive if he came there willingly all the time, if it wasn't the most comfortable thing for him to do. Yeah,
0: very polished, very polished. Bucky, um, I mean, we've talked about Bucky for five weeks. We know we knew he was going to leave
1: uh, pretty much. Uh, 19- I mean, I thought he was going to go last year, yeah. quite honestly, and I was a little surprised he came back. Uh, so
0: more than five weeks. Maybe. Yeah. A year and five weeks. Um, maybe I tie it in this way in reference to him. The loss of Bucky and Ford combined, what does that do? And I guess we could throw in Duran, too. Yeah. Um, but we've already kind of talked about what their what's their quarterback. What's their receiver besides Phillips?
1: Well, I think first of all between Ford and Bucky, I, want to, I tweeted this before. I think it was forty nine hundred yards and forty four touchdowns career between them. Good. That's a lot of production to lose. Uh, the fact that you get Cam Phillips coming back, uh, he's always sort of been uh, <laughs> I've always described as the Robin to Ford's Batman yeah. these years. Uh, well, Robin had a pretty good season. This he almost had a thousand yards. I didn't notice that until after the the belt am Like man, he came up like just short of a thousand yards at seventy six catches, which was just short of what uh, Isaiah had. MVP of the belt bowl. He really thrived. I mean, they moved him into the slot uh, later in the year, and I think he really thrived in that role. It'd be interesting if they keep him there. Or if now that Ford's gone, they have to split him out wide. Is that more of a uh, a big play number one type receiver? Uh, so they have him. They have, you know, Chris Cunningham was the starting tight end. I mean, as much as people want to call Bucky a tight end, he did not play there this year. So, uh, you know, Cunningham, very good around the end zone. I think he needs to develop more uh, the rest of his game, but he was a redshirt freshman this year. So that, that'll come along over time. Uh, you know, I think Fuente and his staff saw this moment coming for a while. I mean, this is why they hit the receiving recruiting so hard. Uh, had a lot of guys uh, from last year's class. And many of them recruited by uh, Beamer staff. That you know, Fuente held on to uh, Phil Patterson, Eric Kuma, Divine Diablo, Samuel Denmark were were the four big guys in that class. I think Divine Diablo probably played the most this year, even though he didn't have a lot of catches. But
0: he's he had a devil of a time in that lineup. You really, is. you
1: just couldn't resist with that, could you? No, he had the. Uh, you know, he he's a big. I think he's like 64. So if you're looking for somebody to sort of replace the body type that Bucky had, I think Diablo might step into that role. Uh CJ Carroll actually played very well in the slot this year. He was injured for the bowl game. Uh you don't think of him much cuz I think he's generously 56 57 something I mean, he like that. Could be but
0: another Danny Cole. Yeah,
1: he's a he's a jitterbug type guy across the middle that a Wes Welker, a Danny Cole. We're falling into the sports writer trap here. You can only compare maybe burn, maybe? You can I mean, only compare short white receivers to other short white receivers is the sports writer trap here. Uh but it, I mean, he had that big catch against Notre Dame that sort of jump started them. Uh in that game, I, I think he could be a factor. I think uh there's a big class of freshmen coming in where they have uh, you know, uh, Caleb Farley and Khalil Pimpleton, which is a great name. Uh, a bunch of guys uh, coming in there that could maybe factor in, especially the guys that get here in the spring ball. So uh, while you're not going to be able to replace sort of the, the production of those two with two guys, I think with a collection of guys in the aggregate, you can at least do a decent job of spreading the ball around and, and getting that kind of yardage. I, I don't think you'll approach the kind of offensive production they had from the receivers this year because it was you know probably the best receiving trio that they've had ever at the school. But, uh, you know, Fuente likes to get a lot of guys involved. Uh, Henry Murphy is another one I didn't mention before, uh, who kind of did a little bit more as the season went on, but Fuente likes to get a lot of guys involved and maybe this makes it easier to spread the ball around without worrying like, Oh, I'm not getting this guy enough touches because he's one of our star players. Yeah. Other side of the ball, uh, Brandon Faison still has a decision
0: to make, uh, as of this taping, he has not uh, said one way or the other, Wh- which way do you think he's leaning? Do you think he'll be back?
1: I don't know. Uh, he's a guy that uh, I would have thought that would come back, but he's graduated. He walked in December. Uh, he's – you know, I look at some of these draft boards or these draft listings, and he's pretty well thought of in some of these, better than I thought he would in some of these things just given his injury history. And because of that injury history, he's had a streak of health here where you wonder, uh, you know, do you try to just go – on a high on a healthy note uh go when your your knees are still you know pretty good and have held up for an entire season like this uh it, it, interesting thing about him he, he had five interceptions that first year i don't think he's had an interception since then hmm. in his career he's been a, a pretty decent cover guy he had some had some lapses this year where i don't think maybe he was as sharp as, as he was at times last year but you know he's somebody who was here four years he had the injury where he had a medical red shirt. Uh, when he came in, he and Kendall Fuller talked like they'd be here three years and then off to the NFL together. So uh, the fact that Kendall's in the NFL doing that and, and Brandon is still in college and you know kind of always envisioned that they would go to the NFL together, it wouldn't surprise me if, if he also goes.
0: I know at one point, I'm not sure if this is still the case, <clears> that wanted to go to medical school. Now I wonder if, you know, if you figure – because, you know, you, if you stay, you take graduate courses, right? That's not really going to help you on your on your path to medical school, I wouldn't think. I mean, you, you'd want to get started in the actual medical school.
1: Yeah, I don't think you could play football and go to medical no, school. That'd, no, That'd be a tough <laughs> daily double to pull off there. So maybe you
0: start your pro career as soon as you can. And, then, and you're right. I mean, the injuries – Brandon was really, really awesome guy to talk to in his first season when he was doing great things. And, and he just got beaten down by those injuries man it i mean he was tired of talking about it it was it, you could see it in his face he was just like it was it was brutal on him. i mean and i don't know that he would want to risk going through another
1: situation like that no and, and plus i mean you look at his frame i mean he's a 6-2 guy not a lot of corners or 6-2 guys uh i think he could be something that an nfl team would like uh honestly if he comes back does he improve his stock that much uh i don't think he's really gonna be like a a 4-2 guy i mean that's that's always kind of what jumps off the page with these cornerbacks and stuff like that uh i don't know again it it comes down to football is a brutal sport sometimes it really just takes a toll on your body and uh it's not the dumbest thing to do to get to the nfl sooner rather than later while you still have your legs under
0: you yeah i mean I'm thinking if I'm Ford, I'm going. If I'm Bucky, I'm going. If I'm Brandon, I'm going. Evans, I'm probably not. But that's you know that's because I, I would think as if I were Gerard Evans, I would think that I could really move, make a huge move up the draft boards I would, with a big season, an all ACC type of season. But you're right. I mean, with weapons gone, let's. I, I thought the lead of your story when you wrote about the mass exodus was great. I'll paraphrase it, but it was something along the lines of now we're going to find out exactly how good of an offensive coach Justin Frente
1: really is. I think I said offensive wizard. Yeah, wizard.
0: Yeah, the onus is on him now. This is a a tough assignment to – I mean, he certainly did a great job with what he inherited plus Gerard, which he went out and got, who he went out and got. Um, How how big of a blow is it? I mean, do you think – you feel pretty good that they can contend for ten wins next year with what what we know now.
1: Ten wins I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just being honest about the situation uh, maybe if you kept if you kept Gerard, I think they're ACC contenders, but the quarterback being such an important position and you look at how much Gerard meant to this team this year not just throwing the ball but he was their leading rusher 12 touchdowns. Uh, you lose that, that's a huge question mark to have with the team. And I know they have Bud's defense. and I know they've uh, recruited okay. They're bringing guys in. But it, it's going to be a really young offense, I think, next year in a lot of spots, a lot of crucial spots. Uh, so that would give me a little bit of pause about thinking that they could do that well. I, I don't think they're going to fall off the face of the earth. I don't think it'll be a 4-8 and eight type season or anything like that. But uh, it'll be tough. I mean, you, you don't lose that kind of talent and just, you know, not miss a beat. But if there's an offense, if coach that's going to be able to handle that and sort of mitigate those losses a little bit, I think Fuente has a scheme that's worked at several stops. It's worked with uh, new players coming into new roles and coming and going. And uh, I mean, for gosh sake, he, he turned Memphis into an offensive juggernaut by the time he had left there. Memphis had nothing yeah. to work with initially. So. Uh, I think I've seen a lot of Hokies fans saying this. It's like, if it was any other coach but Fuente in charge, I'd be worried. But Fuente seems to know what he's doing on the offensive side of the ball. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. That doesn't mean uh, I think he'll have some frustrating times in spring and in August when it's like, oh, these guys aren't developing as fast as I'd like them to. And he'll probably be a little bit surly in the, you know, to interviews uh, more so than he was last year. But uh, I think he's a coach that can come up with some ways to, to – move the ball in unique ways and find different guys that can do different roles and the offense might not look as much the same as it did this year because the strengths of the offense will be different so it'll be interesting to see but he, you know, he's an offensive mind and he's a guy that's done it before so I would imagine that he would at least put a competitive product on the field
0: well you raised a good point off air <laughs> big picture wise you think of Virginia Tech, you think, you know, the DBU reputation and all that. You would think if there's a mass exodus, it's going to be defensive guys. I mean, what do you make of the fact that that so many offensive guys are are gone? Uh, is that a credit to Fuente? Is that a credit to the guys who recruited him? Uh, is it, is it uh, I don't know, just one of those things because maybe it's a domino effect, like you said before, where Gerard's looking at uh, the receivers going and saying, maybe this, you know what I mean? Like, this, to see... Three very high-profile players, under, underclassmen, uh, pack up and leave. What what do you make of that as a
1: whole, collectively? It's tough to say. I mean, it, like you mentioned, I mean, these were guys that were brought in by different coaches. Yeah. I mean, Bucky was brought in by, uh, you know, the staff that had Steinspring and Mike Kane, Michael Kane back in those days, and they were going to play him at quarterback to succeed uh, Logan Thomas uh Loeffler comes in he s- switches him to tight end where he really thrived uh with Leffler and aaron moorhead they were you know key guys and getting isaiah ford to come here and, and putting him out there right away and succeeding and fuente comes in and brings in evans and he he has a great year and the other two continue to take off so uh there's not really like a common thread between the three but i, I think uh if you're going to take away anything from this it's that virginia tech is not your father's Virginia Tech when it comes to offense. I mean, this is a, a an offense that's capable of having these kind of big numbers and having these guys put up big years and going to the NFL early. And, yeah, they've had some guys do that before. I mean, obviously Michael Vick, the running backs uh, that have left early before. But uh, to have it three kind of, you know, quarterback, receiver, tight end, if you want to call Bucky that, uh, this year where he played, uh, to sort of have that diversity of of offensive players all come out in the same year I think it's a, a testament to the kind of offensive year that they had because uh, that would have happened a couple years ago and I don't think you would have seen these guys go pro after a season where Virginia Tech ranked 98th nationally in total offense but you put up a good year like this and all of a sudden guys do that and I, you know I think that you know you can look at it a couple of ways. You can say, oh, this is terrible for the program to lose this guys," Or you can look at it and say, that's oh, probably a benefit. I mean, I, I think Fuente can look at this and, and go on the recruiting trail and say, look at these guys that we've put in the NFL that are in a spot to succeed enough in college that can then go to the NFL early like that. I think that's intriguing to a lot of recruits that are out there. And uh, while it might be a blow initially here to lose these three guys all at once, I think it's something you can point to and say, this is what we do at Virginia Tech now why don't you come be a part of that? And I'm sure a lot of players will see that and, and, and open their ears a little bit.
0: That's a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah, I've always thought of Tech not as much DBU as RBU. I mean, I, you know, I for, for years and years, just because of the way Frank did things, uh, being a running back at Virginia Tech was a featured position. I mean, you were really uh, a big shot on campus. I mean, you think of the Ryan Williamses and the David Wilsons uh, that have come through here, and uh, I'm, I'm – missing a bunch I mean just just five or six really really strong Kevin like Jones Kevin Lee Suggs Jones. yeah I mean and now I mean even uh, uh Evans Darren Evans I mean a guy that was uh you know sort of a maybe a under-recruited guy out of Indiana even though he was like all world in Indiana I mean turned into a into a super superstar here
1: at Virginia Tech now, what's no, but, interesting? None of those guys went on to have much NFL glory. Right. I mean, Kevin Jones probably had the most, but he had the the Liz Frank injury that ended early. I think Lee Suggs had injury problems. Wilson had injury. Wilson with the yeah. neck. Ryan Williams with his knees. Yeah. Darren Evans just never quite made it. So, uh, as much as you want to say RBU, once they get to the NFL, it was uh, not very much production from those guys. Or, True.
0: Yeah, I guess if you're if you're, I guess that's why the nickname is DBU because of the success in the NFL. But when I'm looking at it from the college perspective those are the superstars that i remember the most i mean i of course i remember the the defensive backs as well but i guess what i'm all circling around to is trayvon mcmillan how many yards did he finish with this year hold on i have to look it up uh i mean he was a thousand yard rusher and we can go over our our uh <laughs> over unders later
1: 676 yards seven touchdowns i mean neither one of us thought it would be that low right well, you you goaded me into picking the over to a thousand, because I originally said under, and then you're like, well, let's include the bowl game. I'm like, well, he went over a thousand in the bowl game last year. Why can't he do it this year? And obviously, that was a stupid, stupid over under pick on my part.
0: What do we make of that? I mean, what do we make? Is it? Uh, let me phrase it this way: Is Virginia Tech a less attractive place for a running back to go now?
1: I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I go that far. Uh, I guess the usage that they have is sort of confounding for a lot of fans that have been used to seeing one guy get, you know, when when they had a featured back get 24 carries and it'd be uh, no big deal. Uh, I don't know if you're ever going to see that now, but I think a lot of places are doing that too. I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, I, I think you still see places that have a guy that gets tons of carries like that. Alabama is probably a great example, but, Uh, A lot of these places that have these sort of up-tempo offenses involve more and more guys in the running game. I guess the part that would not be attractive for a running back is sort of the inconsistency that's involved with the usage there. you know, Trayvon would have a game where he'd have 15 carries. All right, he looks like the Trayvon of old here. He's running like that. The next game he'd have one carry for negative four yards and not see the field at all. So uh, I guess some of that is just... You know, this was the hand that Fuente was dealt and he's trying to sort through it and figure out the right guys that can fit in and maybe doesn't see a guy that quite fits into what he wants, but uh, another part of it is just his usage of running backs over the years is they've split these carries. Uh, they've, I think once in his uh, coaching career as an offense coordinator and a head coach, they had a running back over 200 carries in a season. Uh, and I think it was one of his first couple years at Memphis. I, I'd have to go back and check that, but uh, he's just not a guy I think that's going to give a, a single running back three hundred carries in a game. It's just sort of not part of his philosophy. Is there any chance
0: that McMillan's not here next year? Like we see a, a, a Trey Edmonds type of transfer?
1: Well, I don't think he's graduated yet, so that would put a hamper on that. Okay, he hasn't graduated. Uh, uh, I, I, the other thing is, is you know they lose Sam Rogers, so that that's a guy that potentially could get carries. Marshawn Williams tore ACL again. I mean, who knows if he'll be back, honestly. I, I think that's three injuries to his knee that he's had at this point. Shai McKenzie's obviously had a fallen out with the coaching staff. Uh, if he's going back and forth on Twitter debating whether he's injured or not. Has there been with, more? With reporters. Uh, Any more tweets? No, I, I don't okay. think there has been. I just think uh, maybe that's a point of no return yeah, at, at that point. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Uh, you know, those are with, with the top candidates to get carries uh, next year, this year, and, and really – three of those four guys are gone. So uh, if I'm Trayvon and I'm looking at the situation, I'm like, well, you know, Deshaun McLeese comes back from an injury last year. They got some uh, freshmen coming in, Jalen Holston, Terrius Wheatley, who uh, aren't the highest rated uh, guys coming out. So I don't know necessarily if they're instant impact guys. Uh, I think maybe some tech fans are holding out hope that they can flip uh, Kalan Laybourne, who's a Florida State commit. Uh, I don't know if there anything's going to come out of that, but I don't really see this superstar back on this roster of, of tailbacks that they have. So if, if I'm Trayvon and I'm like, well, you don't have a Gerard Evans that's going to run the ball that much, or that it's capable of carrying sort of rushing load like he did, I would imagine the running backs would have more of a, a role in next year's offense. No, that's interesting.
0: I mean, Trayvon's been very diplomatic when asked about his, his workload and everything, uh, but I mean, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall at his holiday meals with his family just to hear what he thinks about how he's been handled. I, mean, I know it's, it's kind of different than, I think, what he expected. I think, I, mean, I don't know, maybe he just didn't know what to expect. But his, his goals coming into the season and his opportunities to reach those goals uh, were pretty dispar- disparate. I mean, you know, they're pretty far away from each other.
1: Yeah, well, I mean when he set his original goal, I think he said something like 1800 yards. I don't know if anybody got to eight, well, no, I know some people did cuz I think that Texas guy got the 2000 yards this year, but that is a very lofty goal. And that's somebody if you're going to get that many yards, you're going to have to get the ball 30 times a game. Be that kind of workhorse guy, and I think that was just uh Trayvon being a little bit too enthusiastic. When <laughs> he saw the new coaching staff come in and not necessarily look at their history of how they use running backs, but Uh, you know, like I said, I I just don't know if there's going to be many other guys on the roster that you can look at that are capable of carrying the ball a lot uh, next year. I I just think McMillan's going to have a role, and if he can develop more as a blocker, I think that's one of the big things is, you know, they ask the running backs to do a lot more than just carry the ball. You have to do stuff in certain formations, and uh, get out and be a lead blocker in instances. I don't think that's been a strong suit of his. Is that the biggest thing we're dealing with here? I think that's part of it. Uh-huh. I mean, you wh- why do you think they like Sam Rogers so much? Yeah. I mean, it's not because of his... I mean, he had a big game against UVA carrying the ball, but it's because he does everything well. I mean, he he could catch passes. He could block. Uh, he could pick up a blocker on a blitz coming into the, the, into the backfield. Uh, that was something on the fourth down call at Clemson, where Trayvon was the blocker there that couldn't get a body on one of the Clemson guys. And... Uh, Gerard had to, to force his throw quicker than he he wanted to uh you know you have to be a blocker out in front if you go in motion and they do a jet sweep or something like that you have to you have to be very good in all those things i think sam was because he was that kind of versatile guy i think trayvon who you know he hasn't been a running back for long i think that first year that obviously the the carrying part of you know the ball carrying part of being a running back came along i think the blocking has to develop still though okay
0: Let's talk a little bit about the national title game. We were both right on our Clemson pick. We both thought they would win outright, and boy, did they ever. Um, you, I think you went without – I think every single one where we differed on the picks last week, I have to give you credit. You were, like, right on almost – I thought Alabama was a 17-point line. It was 14. Was it 14? Closed at 14. It was 17. and Nice. Winner. Yeah. 22-20 uh, and 20 is the guy right now, which is a winning season. You notice I'm not wearing a party hat right
1: now. I'm not very pleased with that, that performance. Well, you started what? What was your record?
0: 10-2. 10-2 against the spread. And then, so, what did that, what are the, quick math here, 20 losses, 12-20? Uh, and 20?
1: Yeah, it's 12 not, not, not a strong finish.
0: Yeah, it's still still break-even. <clears throat> We're not here to break-even. Uh, so,
1: well, I, I would like to point out that you were correct 52% of the time mm-hmm. and wrong 48% of the time, just like smooth Jimmy Apollo. So, uh, you know, you're, you're, this is about average, right? I mean, what what is an average picker? 50-50. 50-50. Yeah. I mean, I, so I, you're you're above
0: average. A coin here. can go 50-50 against the spread. Uh, but, yeah, to break even, you need 52%. So there you go. There you go. I actually broke even. Yeah. Um, the line is seven on this game between Alabama and Clemson. Uh, I almost texted you. I know you don't get the print version of our paper. You read everything online, but I the, the headline in the paper this morning was uh, Davo Sweeney says Clemson has quote more juice this year. It's um, all about the juice. <laughs> so I apologize for not texting that to you, but I thought you'd like that. They, they do seem to have some juice. I mean, they they don't seem to be the uh, the you know the trying to wor- beat the world shock the world underdogs even though it would be a, a stunner for for most if they were
1: to win this game
0: do they have a chance who, who do you like i'm picking clemson to win
1: really uh i'll pick them to win 34 to 30 i know that uh alabama has this all-world defense but i also know that has been prone to giving up points and yards when you face an offense like Clemson's that has a, a quarterback of that caliber can spread you out can go fast can go up and down the field with all the weapons that they have uh, the biggest thing, I mean, another factor is Lane Kiffin, and, you know, the disruption they had at offensive coordinator and not being there in this. I think that'll have some factor in this game. I, I just can't imagine on the eve of the national championship, you can switch your offensive coordinator and not have any sort of residual effect. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is just uh, motivation. I mean, for a full year, these Clemson guys have had that Alabama loss weighing on their minds Uh, And that's not to say that Alabama is going to go into this game taking it lightly because obviously Clemson pushed them to the limit last year. But I kind of go back to that uh, Miami Heat San Antonio Spurs series where, you know, the Heat pulled off the miracle win at the end of it where Ray Allen hit the shot and forced a game seven and they won. And then San Antonio sort of for a full year just sort of stewed on that loss. And they came back the next year and just blew Miami out of the water. I mean, it wasn't even close. I think that is a very big factor when you look at these things and the motivation and sort of the emotion of these college kids that they can really get up for a moment like that when something's been sitting on their mind for a full year. So, uh, you know, I like Clemson to win this game outright. I thought they looked fantastic against Ohio State. I think they have an offense that can move the ball against Alabama's defense. And, you know, honestly, I'm a, a little bit worried about how the Crimson Tide can move the ball against Clemson's defense. Yeah, I like them a lot with the six and a half or seven points. But yeah,
0: I think a moneyline play might be might be a smart play there because you'll get about two to one back on that
1: at least maybe two and a half to one. Um, so this is the point where you have to explain to me what a moneyline bet is.
0: Cause money line just stupid. Is, is picking them to win straight up. Okay. So Alabama, you'd have to lay like three dollars for every dollar, something in that neighborhood, and then Clemson, you would just bet a dollar and you can win two fifty.
1: This is why people on, should take gambling advice from you and not people like me who's asking what a money line I'm is. Telling
0: you, you did really well on the picks that we did last week. I mean, I think I had the Florida State one right, and you pretty <laughs> much all the ones we differed on. You were, you were, you were. The I, think voice, there was, reason. I think the Wisconsin one was a push. Yeah, I had it at seven and a half in the in the paper. Okay, so that was a winner actually. After the guy missed
1: the extra point at the end?
0: Yeah. Did you see me?
1: As I saw he pushes it wide right. Honestly, Western Michigan has to be the luckiest team alive in that game. They fumbled it five times and got it back all five times. They threw that miracle fourth down heave into the end zone where the guy caught it. Like I couldn't. I was watching that game. I'm like, Wisconsin should be winning this by 25 points. It like, should have been. What did you think of that Rose Bowl, man? That was pretty good. The well, Rose Bowl the, game? The Rose Bowl game. The part that I saw, which was just the very end because I was trying to hammer out that uh, – story of gerard and and isaiah leaving uh i saw the very end of it and i think penn state was up by like 14 i'm like oh they're gonna close this out and then all of a sudden i see them throwing the pick at the very end i'm like oh my gosh they're gonna lose this game uh i thought that was uh yeah penn state proved a lot of people wrong i think by even being in that because i think everybody you and i included thought that usc would blow them out but then i was kind of shocked how they lost that game in the fashion that they lost that game because You have the ball with 30 seconds left. You're like, just don't do anything stupid here to lose this game. And what they do? They did something stupid to lose the game.
0: Yeah, no doubt. All right, well, I was at uh, Tech's victory over Duke in men's basketball. They're back in the rankings uh, for the first time in a long time. Uh, Of course, football is ranked. I'm going to go see Virginia basketball this weekend for the first time this year. They're ranked. What are you going to do with your next uh, couple of months? I mean, I guess the draft stuff. Uh, what else? Post mortems on the season. Yeah,
1: the, sort of year review type stuff. Take more of a statistical look at, uh, deeper dive statistically into some of this stuff. Obviously, the recruiting side of things leading up to signing day, including one of my favorite things to write every year is looking back at the recruiting class five years ago and mm-hmm. see how they panned out because. You know, we write all these things every time somebody puts together a recruiting class and everything's like, this guy's the next Michael Vick. This guy's the next Xavier D.B. And then you look back later, and you're like, you've got to be kidding me that those comparisons were even made because, like, one third of the guys even make it to the finish line from that class. So I always like to throw some cold water on the all the excitement of signing day by showing that, you know, a third of these guys won't even, like, make it to their second year in this class before they, you know, go somewhere else or just decide football's not for them. Uh, But, yeah, it'll be that. It'll be kind of uh, trying to figure out some off-season stories before spring ball, which all of a sudden it becomes a very interesting spring ball. I don't know if we're going to see any of it, but uh, uh, storylines galore in spring ball just with the number of replacements that they have on the offense and uh, then kind of figure out some other ways to get through the summer, as is always the case. Yeah,
0: well, let's get together again next week. Let's keep getting together until there's nothing to talk about. Sounds good. And then we'll do our Simpsons draft.
1: They long talked about, but – Never put into action Simpsons draft.
0: We can always talk rail yard dogs. They're actually playing pretty well right
1: now. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be a big big listenership for the rail yard dogs. Well,
0: get out to a game if you get a chance. Good good, good entertainment there. Okay, well, that about does it for this podcast. Thanks for being with us. For Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarling, and we'll catch you next time.